Slice Audio. Citizens arrest. Uh, oh, that's a good one. I, I like the accent. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice touch. Yeehaw. <laughs> so I actually missed a class. I pulled a Brandon. You did. Yeah, I, what did I miss last week? You missed the uh, CSI effect and you missed evidence. Uh, CSI effect, that's kind of like, uh, well, we've all seen that television show, CSI or Las Vegas CSI. Is that what's on now, Las Vegas? I think there's like one in every city. Yeah, I think there's, I, I saw one in Hawaii. There's even. Miami, Yeah, so you Vegas. get that CSI effect, all that <laughs> crazy special technology that exists out there as far as uh, what we actually can or cannot do. Um, and then we also did the evidence section uh, kind of how we process our evidence, kind of different types of evidence that we look for when we go to these crime scenes, uh, where it's stored, uh, a tour of the evidence facility. So you missed a little bit, but uh, yeah, I kind of think that CSI class was kind of cool. And then uh, the opportunity to see kind of how we take care of our stuff over at our evidence building. Yeah, the, the evidence building is actually, you know, one of the, I wouldn't call it a hidden secret of the police department. It just doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on over there. There's a lot of logistics and effort put into what we call the chain of custody which is so vital to the criminal justice process. Basically, when you take a piece of evidence, you have to maintain accountability for that piece of evidence throughout the court process. So you have to document who took it, where they put it, how it's stored, where it's at, all this. So that way, when you're you know, testifying in court or using this piece of evidence uh, in a trial, an attorney can't come along and say, well, there's this period of time that it's unaccounted for how do we know it wasn't tampered with? Wow, okay. So, And then also uh, kind of what we do over at our lab at the evidence building, things like fingerprinting, things like video imaging, um, all sorts of different things they get to do over there at the evidence building, which is kind of unique. And then the classmates had their, uh, had their own hand at doing some of that stuff, taking some photography, or not taking photography, taking <laughs> photographs of different types of evidence, uh, throwing some fingerprint dust down on some objects that just not real evidence, but like mock evidence, things that we use for training to see uh, see how they did at that and kind of give them a firsthand experience as far as what some of our officers do on scene and then what some of our uh, evidence technicians and forensic specialists take place uh, over there so i missed a good night kinda unique kind of unique kind of different mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to make that one up we can probably get you over there yeah get you in for a tour i'll show you around there's a lot of cool science that goes on over there i know <laughs> and i think i would be really good at that job mm-hmm. like because i'm a good detective there you go right. well, i can we'll, do good detective work we'll we'll uh we'll have you try on some shoes over there <laughs> okay <laughs> put me on a case okay sounds good <laughs> Shoes. I thought it was a glove. Yeah, it might have been a glove. I don't know. (laughs) One of my favorite shows on Netflix was Making a Murderer. Did you watch that? Yeah, yeah. That's actually a great show. Or anybody who's seen that has seen the impact of a lapse in the chain of custody. Because in that show, or at least what the documentary shows about the court case, shows you know a point of unaccountability for i think a vial of blood yes and it it looked like somebody had taken some of the blood out of there yeah so that can that can make or break a case and so that's why it's so important that we maintain 
A, the integrity of the evidence the entire time, but also accountability for it. Why is that guy still in prison? So I've been told there's a lot of stuff that the documentary doesn't choose to show. I see. About the court case. Uh, Obviously, it's a little bit more compelling if it's a a David versus Goliath story. People can make up their own uh, opinion of of what they saw in the documentary. I dug a little bit deeper into some of the other stuff that they left out. Did you? Mm -hmm. So you think he's guilty? Yeah, I, I think the process probably went the way it should have. Well, you're just going to leave it right like that, huh? Yeah. Can you tell I do PR for yes, a Yes, I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we had last night. Yeah, last night, what did we have? We have accident reconstruction to where you got to speak with uh, one of our reconstructionists, Derek Mann. Yes. He actually came to us from the Highway Patrol after having investigated many, 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 many car accidents. He's got an extensive background. Got a big background, has a lot of education under his belt, and uh, yeah, does very well for our department. So yeah, accident reconstruction, some of the things that we can learn at a crash scene, everything from the marks on the roadway to uh, crush to weights of vehicles in regards to how we put back together a crash. What I thought was really cool is the math that goes into that oh, job. Yes. And he said he hated math growing up. Yes. <laughs> there so is he, a lot he, of math. He goes to the schools and he explains how he uses math in his job. And the kids are like, wow, you know, math's kind of cool now. Yeah. Well, when you can you can practically apply math to a situation and people, and people can actually see how it plays out in an investigation and how important it is in terms of like uh, understanding angles and you know even down to who's at fault in a crash too Mm -hmm. we can use those equations and what we find on scene to kind of turn back time a little bit and figure out okay so we know you know a second and a half prior to the collision how fast this vehicle was going and so it it really helps us in that uh, investigatory process all the different things from like the friction of the road surface to examining video footage to see how far a vehicle had traveled by frames per second. Uh, there's just a lot that goes into those accident reconstructions, and yeah, Derek Mann's one of our one of our A-plus guys in regards to that. Yeah. So yeah, you got to meet Derek Mann and reconstruction stuff. He showed us a picture of a hit-and-run, well, this car that had hit somebody, and it had the imprint of their jeans on it. Yeah, there's some unique things that happen in crashes and that you I would wouldn't never even have you would never it. think about. But mm-hmm. until he pointed it out, I was like, "Wow." You know what I found really interesting and it's you know, it's Halloween so we can talk about this and it's a little bit morbid, but mm-hmm. you know, there's actually a way you can tell in the field and get a rough estimate about how uh, fast a vehicle is traveling in a car versus pedestrian based on where the impact the secondary impact is with the pe- pedestrian on that vehicle. So the, the further back it is, right? Right. The further back on the vehicle that that secondary impact is with the pedestrian, the faster the vehicle's going. Wow, that's so weird. Mm-hmm. And even taking a look at things like if you're talking about car pedestrian crashes, even the unique things is not only are we looking like at vehicle skids, but we can also look at shoe skids on a road, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Are you kidding me? So you have a lot of different things that go along mm-hmm. in crash reconstruction. Like they leave a Nike swoosh yeah. or what? Yeah. Or yeah. S- <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they uh, they actually leave their shoes behind. Ooh. That as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than that, then we had the uh, special response team. They um, are cool. So we had... Uh, other other agencies cool might call guys. it a SWAT team, right? Right. Uh, specials response team is what we call our group of individuals who uh, participate in that task. But yeah, other agencies across the country 
known as a SWAT team. What is that? Special weapons? In tactics. There you go. Yeah, but special response team. Either way, it's additional training that allows this team to deal with very specialized threats, very specialized situations. If you've got an armed person in a building barricaded with a you know, who's committed a violent act, that is the perfect situation to call out the special response team because they have the tools and the training to, best case scenario, safely resolve that situation. It's almost like a rescue team. You know, there's this misconception that you see, you know, a SWAT team in big body armor and armored vehicles and everything. It's not an assault team. It's a rescue team because we are over there to resolve the situation as peacefully as possible. And best case scenario, every outcome is that the uh, we can get the individual to recognize that they're going to stay in that house until they decide to come out. And a big aspect of that, too, it's not only the, uh, the group of individuals that are out there with uh, all this extra gear, but it's our negotiations team as well mm-hmm. to uh, be able to try to make contact with these individuals who are in crisis, try to talk to them, try to end this situation, whatever they're involved in. Peacefully, biggest goal is, is that no one gets hurt, and then that everybody uh, just basically has a peaceful resolution, is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they talked about the snipers a little bit and how sometimes they hike for hours to get to their destination, and they, like, camouflage themselves. <laughs> snipers are hikers, for sure. <laughs> you know, there's a... Uh uh, one of our sergeants is on the sniper team, and he's got a, a poster that says, "Everybody wants to do. Uh, everybody wants to be a sniper until it's time to do sniper stuff." <laughs> 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 uh, because th- those guys do. They uh, they tromp through the woods and try to get an elevated location and the perfect location to be able to be able to call out vital information to the rest of the team and be that that bird's eye view for the whole situation yeah and sometimes hiking and and staying somewhere for 12 hours at a time Mm -hmm. waiting for the rest of the team to show up that's some of that sniper stuff don't forget your depends right exactly (laughs) in some of these situations yeah that team can be out there for hours um if we don't have dedication if we don't have to push an is an issue uh we won't push it we'll try to you know time is on our side time is on their side so uh, we'll tend to wait things out if we think it's going to benefit the whole situation. So, yeah, our team could be out there for hours. And uh, so can our officers, like, at, at our intersections, blocking off that area to make sure that no one comes into the area to get themselves in a dangerous situation. So hats off to those guys for doing what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hats off to, hats off to everybody. It's you know, a big team that does a lot. And I'm sure you guys probably talked about the uh, armored vehicles a little bit, right? A little bit, yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite misconceptions that I see covered in the media when they talk about these vehicles is they call them military-style vehicles. And, yeah, there may be, you know, a military application to these uh, in some way, but these are not – these are purely defensive. They're just up-armored vehicles that can help protect our people as they work to rescue that individual inside, would you look at a like secure car or a uh, um, uh, armored armored car that goes from bank to bank? Would you call that a military style vehicle? 
Mm, I could be. <laughs> <laughs> they look pretty tough. <laughs> but but that's essentially what what it is. Is it's basically a, an up armored vehicle that can protect our special response team members as they go in to directly work to de-escalate the threat. Because I don't know about you, I don't think I would want to roll up in some of those situations in my Toyota Corolla (laughs) (laughs) versus uh, a machine like that that is there to help protect me from whatever that offender has to offer. And when I think military vehicle, I think like the the highest security type vehicle. Like you can't touch this. Yeah, yeah, or a tank. Yeah. We don't have a tank. How come we didn't get to drive those on Evoc Day? <laughs> maybe maybe. They, don't handle, they, don't, they don't handle very well under speed. I'm going to put that on my evaluation. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> if you think that you could get the same time in that vehicle that you got in the, in the Dodge Charger, then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll put you to the test. I'll probably take down some more cones, though, for it, sure. That, those actually might roll. It's possible, They're yes. very top-heavy. And uh, out of, you know, the, the up-armored glass in the window uh, makes it really hard to see. Well, how do you know this? Have you tried? Uh, I've been in the vehicle before. It's, yeah, and I've heard from the the guys who are trained to drive it. It's, it takes some, yeah, it it takes some training to be able to drive it. I bet. Do they have one of those, like, peepholes? Yeah, they're always out the top. Oh, like a periscope? Yeah. No, we don't have a periscope. Is that but, just in the but, movies? But we do have we we do have some uh, <laughs> little openings that we can use to facilitate transfer in and out of the vehicle. So, what do we got next week? How many weeks do we have left? We just got one week left. Aww. So and next the, week. Well, next week and then graduation. Well, graduation. That's a few weeks down the road. But yeah, next week it is. I'm trying to think again. Right off the top of my head. Oh, our quality of life unit. What's uh, you, that? So basically, it is uh, a couple of our officers and a group of individuals. It's a fairly new unit. It's yeah. It's been around for three years now. Um, they cater to the needs of uh, particularly our homeless individuals to try to get them off the path of which they are currently in. That's great. Um, that being those that have alcohol abuse problems, they're homeless, they don't really have a place to go, or a path set ahead of them that's uh, promising for them. Our quality of life unit particularly works with them to try to get them off the streets, try to get them some help that they might need, um, try just to get them uh, clothing, try to get help them find avenues to get jobs. Because in the end, uh, a lot of times these individuals are responsible for a lot of calls for service for the police department. And if we can intervene and get them going down the right track, those calls for service will diminish greatly. And then not only that, but to help with that individual's safety. Uh, the last thing that we like to see is people sleeping outside homeless yeah. uh, and freezing cold. And if we can get them off the streets and out of those conditions, uh, you know, their safety increases tremendously. And uh, it's the right thing to do. That's great. That's, that's and just really neat that you have that. Aside from that, then the other thing we have got that evening is our, uh, we're going to talk about gangs in Rapid City. Gangs in Rapid City. Gangs in Rapid City. All Mm -hmm. the different types of gangs that we have here in Rapid. uh, There's gangs here? Well, uh, yeah, unfortunately, there is uh, quite a bit of gang activity. Wow. As of Uh, late, too. I'm from Tucson, Arizona, so so, (laughs) I've seen some pretty scary stuff. I can't see that here in Rapid City. Well, we're starting to see it, unfortunately, becoming more and more of an issue, especially as of late. Um you know, a lot of our street gangs are involved in a lot of our burglaries, 
a lot of our firearm thefts, wow. a lot of our violent crime, and um, uh, yeah. a lot like, of, uh, like Bloods and Crips. Does that still exist? There is some affiliation. Yeah, really, ab- absolutely. Yeah, and and um, on top of that, you know, most timely. A lot of the issues that we're seeing up north, uh, we call it the Big Three apartment complex, where we had our most recent homicide. We've had some shootings up there. Uh, a lot of that is perpetuated by, by gang, gang and drug activity. That's yeah. horrible. So throughout the last handful, I mean, it's I would be shocked that there isn't some sort of gang involvement or gang ties into every one of those. I would be shocked if that wasn't the case, but... That's not cool. And not cool at all. Hmm. Other than that, I think that will wrap up the uh, Citizens Police Academy, aside from the graduation. And then uh, we'll be looking for your help next year as far as getting some additional people to code through the course. Oh, sure. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Did, I, did, I, did I hear that you had signed up for the auxiliary? I did. Yes. What does that mean? What am I, what am I signing up for here? Well, uh, we're going to put you through some intense training. We're going to send you to the academy. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I can uh, do it. it. It means that, uh, you know, if I we... better work on my push-ups. <laughs> if, if we need some uh, extra people power for an event or, you know, the safety side of an event, we can we can call on you to come out and help us out. It also uh, entitles you to uh, maybe some additional ride-alongs <gasps> to, uh, to go be... I heard conti- Continue to be a, a member of our our uh, law enforcement family and then also I believe they meet once a month. Yeah, they meet once a month. They uh, talk about topics very similar to what we do in the Citizens Police Academy once a month. I don't know what evening it is. Uh, Lieutenant uh, Jeff McCoy runs that program and if anyone is actually interested in the police auxiliary program or would like more information about it or wants to even sign up, I would encourage you to contact uh, Jeff McCoy by calling uh, 394-4133, and that's, of course, here in Rapid City. They can get some more information in regards to that and see if that program is right for them Mm -hmm. and see if they're in a spot to where they can help uh, lend some time to help our community. It might be a good opportunity to get your foot in the door for uh, next year's Citizens Police Academy, too. Where do people go to, you know, read about what this is about? Uh, So you can actually go to our website. It's rapidcitypolice.org. Um, Click on the community tab, I believe it's under, and uh, you'll see a bunch of information about our Citizens Police Academy, about the auxiliary, about how people can get involved. If you're even thinking about being a police officer, which we are in a hiring phase right now, uh, there's a career tab that has a ton of great information on basically going from, I think I could see myself being a police officer to, all right, you're ready to be a police officer and hit the streets on your own. Love mm-hmm. it. Um, this has been a great experience for me so far. Well, I'm glad. And uh, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you guys get to share it with your listeners. You get to be uh, sort of the spokespeople for the course, help help the rest of your listeners understand, you know, some of the things that people may not understand or may not get to see about law enforcement, help them understand a little bit more about how law enforcement works. Thank you for coming in once again. Do you have any cool stories for us? I do. So uh, this actually got brought up where somebody remembered it and asked me about it. But yeah, uh, the one time it was either 
a year ago. Was this a traffic stop? It might have been. So it was like a year ago, maybe two years ago. We had an officer. He was one of our canine officers. And he'd been looking for this warrant subject, right? He knew that this warrant subject drove a very distinguishable vehicle. And so happened upon uh, that particular vehicle, did a traffic stop on it, arrested the driver, and then found a pizza in the vehicle that uh, and and a one of the one of your deliver, local delivery service uh, receipts in there and put two and two together and realized that he was in the middle of a delivery for a local food food delivery service <laughs> um you know, one of those apps that you go on your phone and okay, you can, I know what you're talking you, about. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. dudes, yeah, um, Uber Eats, DoorDash, any yeah. one of those, but yeah, so realized that uh, he was actually in the middle of a food delivery when this officer pulled him over and arrested him. Wow, uh, was able to look at the on the pizza they had printed the, the individual's name that it was going to, was able to go in our system. Look up a phone number for that individual. Give them a call. Figure out where they lived. Finish the delivery, and you know sometimes arrests take a little bit of time. And so realize that uh, by the time they got the pizza to the uh, individual, it was it was kind of cold. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. So he went back and got her a fresh one. What kind of pizza was it? I actually don't know. Yeah. Did he get to keep the old one? <laughs> no, I don't think he was very interested in keeping the old one. Hopefully he didn't have pineapple on it. Uh, I'm not sure. Is, you know, I'm I'm a fan of... Uh, oh, don't tell me that. Yep. yep. Oh, uh, don't even go there. Mm-hmm, yep. So it's, uh, You'll never eat pine- that around me. Pineapple on pizza is not a crime. Oh, yes, it is. No. I, <laughs> I looked up the statute. <laughs> it needs to be a crime. <laughs> so, yes, we delivered a pizza once for somebody. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, and that's the awesome thing about the the Rapid City Police Department is like, you know, the from the command level down, every member of the police department is empowered to, you know, do things that go above and beyond the scope of their duty. You know, essentially from day 1 you learn that if if it feels like the right thing to do, if it passes the gut check, then do it. Uh like you don't have to ask for permission, just do it. That's really cool. Did they give him a tip? We probably wouldn't have taken one. <laughs> yeah. There's I would have given him 20%. Th- that there's was really this, nice of him. There's this weird thing when it, it comes to offering a police officer money in exchange for something. That so. might get you in trouble. Yeah. This is different, though. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it would. The proper thing would be to, you know, say they appreciate it, but respectfully decline. Maybe drop off some donuts at the station later. See? There you go. That's, that's appropriate. We'll always take donuts. <laughs> that is a cool story. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Love you guys. Love you. Kevin loves you too. <laughs> Still don't love us, huh? That's just weird for me. Citizens arrest! <laughs> nice one. I'll remember that. Citizens Arrest is hosted by Amy Rose, Brandon Jones, Brendan Medina, and Lieutenant Mosier. Produced by Mark Houston. Engineered by Chris Jacquez. Audio and video mastered by Russ Haddon. If you liked what you heard, please rate it five stars and leave a comment. Affirmative.